All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 3. Acts, chapter 3. Acts, chapter 3, introduces us to the story I just read and just told to the children about the lame man. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus telling his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. In Acts chapter 2, we see the promise of the Father coming, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the New Testament church being established. We use that qualifying term, the New Testament church, because the church didn't begin in the New Testament. The church has always existed. The church is the people of God. It was mostly, almost exclusively Jewish until the outpouring of the Spirit when God kept His promise that He would not just save the Jews, but He would save the world. And this is what Jesus meant when Jesus said these words that we know so well, recorded for us in John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is Jesus, the Son of God, declaring that He would save the world. In other words, He would save both Jew and He would save both Gentile. That it did not matter what your ancestry was. If you weren't a descendant of Abraham, that did not exclude you from salvation because Jesus came to save the world. And here in Acts chapter 3, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we see the church beginning to grow, the growth of the church. We also see this chapter introduced, the story of the lame man. And there's a lot there for us. One of the things we see is that that lame man was at that gate, not for his healing, but because he wanted money. He wanted silver and gold. He had to live. And that's what he wanted every day he was carried to the gate of the temple. But what we want and what we need are not always the same thing. You guys get that, right? Our prayer is for God in His grace to give us what we need, even if it's not what we want. Sometimes that's an easy prayer to pray when what we need is also what we want. Sometimes it's a hard prayer to pray when what we need is not what we want or what we want is not what we need. Even worse than that, we pray that God would not give us what we deserve. So we want God to give us what we need, not what we want. And we certainly don't want God to give us what we deserve because... You know what we all deserve, right? We all deserve His judgment. We all deserve His wrath. But thankfully, in His grace, He does not give us all what we deserve. And by His grace, we discover the things that we often want. We discover that the things we often want are really far less than what God actually has for us. Kind of like this lame man sitting by the gate. We discover that they're far less and they're far weaker than the things that we actually need. And sin blinds us to the far greater 
and more glorious thing that God has prepared for us in Jesus Christ. God's grace through faith in the power of the gospel, though, gives us eyes to see. It gives us feet and legs to walk and run, and it even gives us wings to fly. As we look at this chapter, Acts chapter 3, there are three themes I want us to consider. Courage, faithfulness, and change. Courage, faithfulness, and change. So let's read the chapter, Acts chapter 3. You can follow with me. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on them, on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked, for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration, of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. 
Him you shall hear in all things, and whatever He says to you, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets, from Samuel to those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. That is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would open that word, open your word to us, open your gospel to us. It is the power of God to salvation. And we ask God that even as it saves us, that it would change us and transform us and conform us to the very image of the Son of God. We are your people. We are your church. We ask God that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill us with courage, make us faithful, and help us to be a people that embrace change, that we would be your witnesses in this world. To your glory we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in this chapter, the first 10 verses give us this, this account of Peter and John encountering the lame man at the gate. Now I want you to notice, it says that Peter and John went up together, they went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The ninth hour would be 3 p.m. in the afternoon because the Jews don't reckon time the same way we do. Our day begins at 12 a.m., which many people are asleep at that time. And we go from 12 a.m. to 11.59 p.m., and that makes a day as we reckon it, reckon it in our Western world. But the Jews didn't count their days and times that way. For the Jews, the day began at sundown. So a new day would begin at 6 p.m. And so the ninth hour was the ninth hour of the, the day, the morning. So 6, 6 a.m., three hours. So there were, there were three times that the Jews prayed. They prayed at the third hour, they prayed at noontime, and they prayed at the ninth hour. Typically, that was the daily time of prayer. That was not prescribed in the Bible. That became the tradition of the Jews. And so when we see that Peter and John are going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, we know that's 3 p.m. because we count nine hours from 6 a.m. 6 a.m. begins the day. 6 p.m. begins the night. 3 p.m. is the evening. So 6, 7, 8, 9, the first hour of prayer. 10, 11, 12, noontime, the sixth hour. And then the ninth hour, 1, 2, 3 p.m. marks the ninth hour of prayer. So we know what time of day it was that Peter and John encounter the lame man. 
It was three in the afternoon. By the way, that is exactly the time that Jesus died on the cross. It was exactly the time that the high priest at Passover would have sacrificed the evening sacrifice. So there was a morning sacrifice, sacrificed at 9 a.m. There was an evening sacrifice, sacrificed at 3 p.m. Every day in the tabernacle, every day in the temple. And it was that time at 3 p.m. that Jesus died, the time of the evening sacrifice. And it was also the ninth hour of prayer. And it was this same time that Peter and John encounter this lame man. Now it says, a certain man, not just any man, but a certain man, lame from his mother's womb. So this guy didn't get hurt in an accident. He didn't have a sickness or a disease. He had a birth defect. And he was born lame, which means he has never been able to walk. He has always, from the time of his birth, had to be carried everywhere he went. There was never a time in this man's life when he could walk himself. From the moment of his birth until this day, at the ninth hour of prayer, that man has been carried everywhere. Now, he's not called a boy. He's called a man. It doesn't tell us how old he is, but the implication is that he is an adult. This is a man. We don't know whether he's a man of 25 years or whether he's a man of 35 years or whether he's a man of 65 years. But we know that for all of his life, however long it was, into his adulthood, he's been lame. And every day, it says, he was carried and laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful beautiful gate. Now, we know exactly what gate this was, too. It's the beautiful gate. And it's not called beautiful just because it was beautiful. That was the name of the gate. And so, that would have been the gate that led into the court of the, uh, the, court of the women, it's believed. This is where the Jews went in. So you have the temple. You have the outer court was the court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles were. Jews were not to receive alms publicly from Gentiles. So this guy wasn't begging alms from Gentiles. This guy was begging alms from Jews because the tradition was Jews were forbidden to receive alms publicly from Gentiles. So he wasn't at the first gate leading into the court of the Gentiles. He was at the next gate. It was called the beautiful gate because it was made of Corinthian brass. And though there were gates covered in gold, it is said by the Jews that this was the most beautiful gate. That gate at the court of the women, that so you leave the court of the Gentiles and you go into the court of the women, and that's where the Jews... No Gentile could go past that court. No Gentile could go through that gate. No Gentile could pass through the beautiful gate. The Gentiles were relegated to their court, called the court of the Gentiles, 
And once you went through the gate beautiful, you were in the territory of the temple that only Jews were allowed to be in. And every Jew, whether it be man or woman, had to go through this gate to get to the temple to offer their sacrifice or to go to their place of prayer. So if the women were going to the temple to pray, they had to go through this gate so that they could pray in their designated area. If the men were going to, their, to the temple to pray, they had to go through this gate to get to their designated prayer. So every Jewish man and every Jewish woman going into the temple had to go through this gate. So this lame man was placed at the most strategic gate possible. Because this was the gate the most people would go through. They had to go through this gate. There was no other place for them to go. He was laid daily at this gate called Beautiful to ask alms from those who enter the temple. And this man, he's carried there daily. And what we can infer from that is that this was not the first day he was there. He was a man, which means he had been laid at that gate daily for many years. And if he's been laying at this gate daily for many years, guess who's already walked by him countless times? Peter and John. Guess who else walked by him countless times? Jesus. Yet, Peter and John walked by him, and he was never healed before. Jesus himself walked by him, and he was never healed before. And this man, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. He, and fixing his eyes, this is Peter fixing his eyes. So the guy's sitting there, and he's asking for alms, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Got any silver and gold for me? Whatever he said, however he said it. He looks at Peter and John. Now, you can imagine there are countless people just going through this gate because people go to the prayer. It's not like the modern-day church. You call a prayer meeting, no one shows up. I mean, three times a day, they were going to prayer. And so there were people streaming through this gate. And this guy is just like calling out. You can imagine. He doesn't care who gives him silver or gold. He wants everyone to give him silver and gold. So he's just letting everybody know, I'm here, I'm here. And we're going to see later on that everybody in that temple knew who this man was. They knew him because he was there every day. And he'd been there every day for years. So he's just calling out. And he looks at Peter and John. And he says, silver and gold, alms for the poor. It, it, you can imagine how it just becomes a, just kind of like a habit. I mean, he's just, you know, it's a numbers game. I just keep, keep asking, and the more people that come, the more I'm going to get. I don't, I, what I'm saying is, I don't think the man was like, especially counting on, oh, I'm looking for Peter and John. When are they going to get here? When are they going to pass me by? He didn't know who Peter and John were. Peter and John were just people in the crowd. He saw Peter and John, and he asked for alms, and he just went on asking. But when he asked Peter and John for alms, something happened. And what happened was the Lord drew Peter and John's attention to this lame man. And this is exactly what we see here in verse 
4, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. Now, why would Peter say, look at us? Because the man had already gone on looking to someone else. He sees Peter and John, silver and gold. He sees someone else, silver. He's just asking everyone in the crowd. But when he asked Peter and John, the Lord draws Peter's attention to this man who had already turned his gaze to someone else asking them for silver and gold. But Peter now is fixated on this man because the Lord has drawn his attention to this man. And Peter says to him, look at us. And that man looked at them. So he gave them his attention, expecting, what was his expectation? What was he there for? What did he want? Silver and gold. When Peter said, look at us, the man looked at them, thinking, expecting to get silver and gold, expecting to receive something from them, and he did. It's just that he didn't get what he wanted. He got what he needed. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. God will use what we want to get to us what we need. You realize that? God will use what we want, even if it's not what we need. God can use what we want. To give to us what we need. And that's exactly what happened with this lame man. There was a hit song recorded by the Rolling Stones back in 1969. And the name of that song was, You Can't Always Get What You Want. How many of you know that song? <laughs> well, if you, I mean, I, you, I never listened to the Rolling Stones. I didn't care for the Rolling Stones. But for some reason, my sister obviously did. But for some reason, just the hook line of this song, I know that. I know the hook line of this song. I don't know anything else about this song. And the hook line in this song is, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. That's exactly what happened to the lame man begging at the gate that day at the hour of prayer when Peter and John walked by? The lame man lying at the gate, beautiful, wanted silver and gold. He tried to get what he wanted, but instead he got what he needed. He got Jesus. He didn't go to the gate for Jesus. He went to the gate for silver and gold. He wasn't thinking about Jesus. He was thinking about silver and gold. He didn't want Jesus. He wanted silver and gold, but... God used what he wanted to get to him what he needed. He was at that gate for one thing, for one reason. But God used that, that day, to give him actually what he needed. Think of all the days and weeks and years that man laid at that gate trying to get what he wanted. And on that providential day when Peter and John walked to prayer, they were drawn to that lame man and they gave to him not what he wanted. Peter knew what he wanted. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And since the beginning, man has been trying to get what he wants, even when it's not what he needs. Now, wanting something is not always a sin, right? It's not a sin to want things. Today when the service is over, every one of these kids wants candy. That's not a sin to want candy. But it can become a sin wanting something when it's not what God wants for us. If it goes against who God is and what God has revealed. So it's not that it's always a sin, but it can be. It can be when what we want is sinful and contrary to God's command. When it violates His word, it's sinful. And at that point, what we want is not what we need. Now the story goes on. It says that Peter took this lame man by the right hand. Why does it, why does it qualify by the right hand? could be lots of reasons. You know, in the, in the east, the left hand is considered dirty. I'd have a hard time in the east because I'm left-handed. And you're not supposed to use your left hand because your, your left hand is used for unclean things. Your right hand is your clean hand. So when, when Peter reaches down and takes the lame man, he takes him by the clean hand and lifts him up. And it says, when he lifts him up, immediately his feet and ankle bones receive strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now remember, Peter and John give to this man what he needs, not what he wants. Think about the day and the time that we live in. Think about in the culture of the church today, we are all about giving men what they want. We compromise the word of God. We compromise the gospel. We compromise everything in an effort to give men what they want instead of giving to them what they need. That lame man needed Jesus. He didn't need gold and silver. He needed Jesus. Because with Jesus came his perfect soundness, which was not just his ankles and his feet and his legs now. Now he can work and earn a living. He doesn't have to beg anymore. Well, that's great. But that's not the most important thing. That's not the most important aspect of the soundness that came to him. It was the soundness that came to his heart. And I think it's fair for us to assume that that man was healed in more ways than just in his feet and legs and ankles. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 5, Jesus, that records for us an episode where Jesus heals another lame man. And Jesus says to that lame man, your sins are forgiven. Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. And all of the critics of Jesus said, whoa, wait a minute there, Jesus. You just, you just said that man's sins are forgiven. Who are you to forgive anyone's sins? 
And Jesus says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say, rise up and walk? Then Jesus says to the man, rise up and walk, go. And he did. So we see Jesus linking the physical wholeness of that man with the spiritual wholeness of that man. Now, that doesn't mean that if we're physically unwhole, we're spiritually unwhole. That's not what that means. The point Jesus was making was the Son of God not only has power to heal sickness, He has the power to forgive sins. He doesn't just have the power to heal our bodies. A good physician can do that in many cases, but what no physician can do, what no man can do, is have the power to heal our hearts from their sinfulness. Only the Son of Man, only the Son of God, only Jesus can do that. And that's what Jesus did. And so we saw that with the lame man in Matthew chapter 9, verse 5. And I believe we can transfer that same truth to this lame man at the gate here. That that man that Peter and John fixed their eyes on and declared to him, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do I give to you. And he rose up and walked. I think it's fair to say that he was more than just physically healed that day, but that he was healed and made whole in his body, in his mind, and in his spirit. So he, leaping up, stood up, walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Verse 9, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. At what had happened to him. You see, the people in the temple could see what had happened to him because they knew this is the guy sitting at this gate every day begging for silver and gold. And now he's inside the temple walking and leaping and praising God. What in the heck happened? And it drew a crowd. And the people came and they gathered around Peter and John and this lame man is holding on to them. You can imagine he's got strength in his legs, but he's been lame all of his life. He's never learned how to walk. Think about your babies who have Legs that are strong enough to carry them, but they've never walked. They're a little wobbly, right? Takes a little bit. But this guy is doing amazingly, miraculously well, considering he's never walked all of his life. And the people are gathered around, and they've seen what's happened to him. Verse 12, and when Peter saw it, He responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? That's an interesting question. Why do we marvel so when we see a physical healing? But it just is kind of easy for us to write off someone who's been saved, born again. I mean, I know we don't write it off, right? We don't just ignore it. We don't, we don't, we, we, We say, oh, that's wonderful. But let's be honest. Someone 
a lame man being healed and being able to walk again, rising up out of a wheelchair, gets a lot different attention than all those people who just surrendered their lives to Jesus. You have 10 people who've surrendered their life to Jesus, and you have one person in a wheelchair, and the one person rises and walks. Guess where all the attention's going to go? It's going to go to the guy in the wheelchair who just stood up for the first time in his life. And I'm not saying that's wrong or that's bad. Because we are inherently people who are drawn to what happens to people outwardly because we, 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 we're all about the outward, right? It's why we have more than one mirror in our house. How many of you do not have a mirror in your bathroom? Why do we have mirrors in our bathroom? Because we've got to make sure this outward is right. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's who we are. But we need to become a people who not only are in tune with what happens to people outwardly, we need to become a people who are in tune with what has happened to people inwardly because something didn't just happen to this man, something happened in this man. He was saved. And Peter says, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though our own power and godliness has made this man walk? He said, we didn't do this. God did this. Because we have no power and we have no godliness in ourselves. And Peter right there deflects all the attention away from him and John. And he says, don't look at us. Jesus has done this. By the name of Jesus, this man has come to his perfect soundness. And then in verse 13, he begins to tell them. He says, this Jesus, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And His name, through faith in His name, Peter's pointing them back to Jesus. He said, in His name, the one, the God of your Father sent, whom you crucified, Jesus of Nazareth, in his name, through faith in his name. And his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. This faith that comes through him. Through who? Through Jesus. Where does your faith come from? It comes from Jesus. Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, By grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. That gift comes to you through Jesus. Just as Luke writes here in this account of this man's healing. And Peter says, yes, 
the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So faithfulness, courage, we need to have the courage to give people what they need, not just what they want. Faithfulness, it's not our strength that God works through, it's our faithfulness that God works through. That takes the heat off of us. It's not that we have to be all so strong and so powerful to go out and do great exploits for God. No, we need to be faithful through simple faithfulness God works think about it Peter and John are on their way to the temple they're just keeping their daily schedule it's the time to go to prayer and they're just simply faithfully going to prayer and God completely hijacks their schedule and decides this is the day and this is the time I'm going to manifest my glory in this lame man. And guess who God didn't tell ahead of time that he was going to do that? He didn't tell Peter and John. Now, by the way, Peter and John, when you get to the beautiful gate, there's going to be that lame man that's been laying there for years. Well, today's the day I'm going to heal him. So you guys be ready for it. You might want to read up on some scripture. You might want to pray some extra prayers before you go so the anointing will be really strong in you. No, God didn't do that. Not at all. They just simply went to the temple like they always did. And in their normal daily schedule, not thinking anything was going to be different, all of a sudden, God intervenes, draws their attention to this lame man, and boom, he's healed. And a miracle notable enough to be recorded in the Scripture and for us to talk about today took place on that day. And God did not forewarn or foretell John or Peter anything about it. He just simply worked through their simple faithfulness. And it wasn't about their strength or their power because Peter says, we don't have any. This is God. This is the work of God. So we need courage to tell people what they need, not just what they want. We need to be faithful because God works not through our strength, but he works through our faithfulness. And in the last verses of this chapter, verses 18 through 26, Peter is telling the people the response that God demands. So when the gospel is preached, God always demands a response. And the response to the gospel, if it's the correct response, if it's the right response, will result in change. Remember I told you three things that we want to consider. Courage, faithfulness, and change. When the gospel is preached, the response to the gospel brings a change. If you have responded to the gospel, if you have been born again, then you have been changed. And just as there was an outward change with this lame man, he went leaping and jumping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. When he couldn't do it five minutes before, there was an outward change, but that outward change was a result of an inward change. And you might not be lame, you might be able to walk just fine, run just fine, leap just fine, but the question is, 
if God has changed your heart, is it manifesting outwardly in your life? And here's what we know. The gospel demands a response, and when the gospel changes us, we must be changed. And this is what Peter is telling the people here in the temple. He says, repent, therefore, and be converted. That word repent means to change your mind. Repent and be converted. That word converted means to change your direction. It literally means to return back from, to return back to. So repent is a change of mind. To be converted is a change of direction. If we have repented, if we have, recha- if we have changed our mind, there will be a change of direction in our life. I'm on a highway to hell, but I've repented and been converted, and now I'm no longer on the highway to hell. I am now on the path of righteousness. The way of life that leads to your presence. And in your presence, the very psalm that was read today is our call to worship. And in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Not just covered up, but taken away. Blotted out. Gone. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That reminds us of Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew where he says to those weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. And with the rest that God gives to us is the refreshing. That he may send Jesus who was preached to you before. So the preaching of Jesus didn't just begin in Matthew 1.1. The preaching of Jesus began at the very beginning we see the first mention, recorded mention of Jesus. Well, actually, it's in Genesis 1. When God said, let us, let us make man in our image. When God said, let there be light. When God created everything, it was through Jesus. We know this because the New Testament tells us this. And this Jesus had been preached to the Jews by all the prophets in all the writings that he may send Jesus who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So we see that Peter is saying here, this is Jesus who was preached from the beginning by all the prophets. Jesus was proclaimed that he would come. Moses spoke of him. David spoke of him, that Jesus who was proclaimed before to you, promised to you before, he has come. You crucified him. And that same Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up in life. He is now ascended to the Father and he will come again. And he says to him in verse 22, For Moses truly said to the Father, 
To the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, all the prophets from Samuel and to those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Why did the Father send Jesus? Peter says he sent Jesus to bless you and to turn you away from your iniquities. That is the change the gospel demands. We are born in sin. We remain in sin until we are born again. And we are born again through the power of the gospel that is preached. And when the gospel is preached... And when the gospel breaks through the hardness of our hearts by the power of God, not by our own power, not by our own strength, but by the power of God, when the gospel breaks through the hardness of men's hearts, that gospel implanted in their heart makes them whole with perfect soundness and it changes them. And they grow the same way a baby grows same way a tree grows, the same way anything grows, from a seed to full maturity. But if the seed is there, and if it's a good seed planted in good soil, it will grow and it will produce fruit. And this is what Peter is telling them. You crucified him, repent therefore and be converted. Change your mind about Jesus. Change your life because of Jesus. And you will experience times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. He will give you rest from your labor. But if you reject Him, He will utterly destroy all of those who will not heed His word. That is good news, but with good news comes the warning. So here we are today, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us to be courageous. He calls us to be faithful. He calls us to embrace change. Because if we have been born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that change must manifest to make him known. So that when we go out into this world, having received who we need, the Lord Jesus, and having come to want and treasure Him above anything else, as we go out into this world, the Jesus that we want, that life, that new life in Christ, should reveal to men their need for Jesus, even if they don't want him. Just like the lame man. He wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for him. And Jesus changed him through the lives of two unsuspecting disciples who were just simply going 
to keep an appointment that day. That could be any one of us at any time of our lives. We need to have the courage, the faithfulness, and the heart change to make those times and those instances a reality, just like it was for Peter and John. It can be, and it will be, in our own lives. Because God is not working differently today than he was then. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? All right, let's get ready and come to the table. Let's stand. Here's your charge today. Courage. We need courage to give men what they need when all they demand is what they want. As much as ever, if not more, the church needs courage. Christ fellowship, we need courage. From the pulpit to the pew, out into the streets, there is no salvation in giving men what they want when it is at the expense of what they need. Let us be courageous. Faithfulness, we need to be faithful people. Very often we think of faithfulness when it comes to big things. But faithfulness is most important in the small things, for the small things are what life is mostly made from. Actually, it's what all of life is made from. We see big things, but we don't realize it's very small things that make up those big things. We understand that when we talk about science and atoms and neutrons and all of those little bitty invisible things we can't see that make up the visible world. But it's true in faithfulness. Don't just be faithful in the big things that come along occasionally. Be faithful in the small things, the daily things. Faithfulness in small things will prepare us to be faithful when the big things come our way. So let us be faithful. Change. The gospel demands our change. But it does not demand it without providing the power to do so. When God saves us, He changes us and gives us the power to continue being changed. Because the gospel doesn't just change us in a moment. The gospel changes us as a continuous action. We are saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. We have been changed. We are being changed. And we will be changed. And that change will continue until we are conformed perfectly to the image of the Son. So let us embrace the continuous change of being conformed to the image of Jesus. Let us be a people that embrace change for the glory of God. Courage, faithfulness, change. We have the power for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.